karibuni sana. Welcome for the MITI forum. Uh, we uh, decided to move Friday of the month. We uh, pushed it to the third Friday of the month of April so that it may coincide with the uh, conference that is happening uh, over this weekend, happening today and also tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we trust that uh, it will be a benefit to you. Uh, today we're going to be tackling uh, a wonderful topic that is on the minds of many and may not be in the minds of many, but it is still a very important topic, and that is aspiring to the gospel ministry. Um, what does it mean to desire to be in the ministry? What does it look like? Uh, how should we be involved, whether you are Hopefully, desiring to be in the ministry, you're not in any way uh, thinking about the ministry. Hope, as we discuss this, we will launch that we can have a place to play. And uh, to help us today in this wonderful topic, uh, this evening we have seven men to help us. Normally, we're going to find the uh, mixing with four panelists, but today we decided that, hey, let's uh, get. Uh, everyone on board and everyone's on deck because it's a wonderful topic. Uh, and I'll introduce them uh, before I finish. So we start from my farthest right. Uh, we have our brother Simon Patillo from Dodoma Reform Baptist Church, Karibusan Andugu. And then next to him, we have our brother Azeta Osage from Sovereign Grace Bible Church in Lagos. Welcome. And then next to him, we have our brother who is the main speaker of the conference, our brother David, David Woolin from Grace Emmanuel Reform Baptist Church uh, in Michigan. Welcome. And then next to him, we have our brother Nico Van Zil from Batchley Baptist Church in South Africa. Welcome, brother. And then next is uh, Murungi Igweta, a pastor in Trinity Baptist Church here in Donholm. Welcome. And then uh, followed by Eric Abuao, who is also an elder here at Trinity Baptist Church, Nairobi. Karibu. Asante. And then finally, the man to my right hand uh, of power. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, is Osinach Nwonko from Sovereign Grace Baptist Church from Lagos. Karibu. Thank you. So, my name is uh, Dominic uh, Kafaria. I am one of the elders here at Trinity Baptist Church. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for gathering us this evening for us to delve into your word and to walk through your word and see what we ought to desire, what we ought to look forward to. You have said in your word that for those who uh, desire to be elders, pastors, that they desire an honorable job. And we pray that as we discuss this, that we will be encouraged to pursue this desire for those whom you have uh, qualified and you have put uh, this desire in them. And for those who uh, may not be there yet that they would see their role and their 
uh, place in the church to encourage such men. So please be with our dear panelists, help them that they would be faithful and simple uh, and clear as we discuss this subject this evening. So we thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So uh, welcome brothers again. like I said during the introduction, this is um, a topic that many would desire to hear about, uh, aspiring to the gospel ministry. But I would like us to, first of all, encourage those who may be watching or those who are seated here this evening and they are wondering, hey, I, I don't desire to be in the ministry. I, I am content with being a church member, playing my role in the background. What can we say to them so that they don't switch off because we don't want them to switch off, we don't want them to go and uh, 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 walk out of this gate thinking this is not for me. What do we have to say to them so that this topic uh, is also for them? Any of you can start. <laughs> yes, please. I would say one thing, that um, the, there is what is called the, uh, the, the inner call or internal calling uh, of a man, but then there is the external call, which comes from the, from the local church where he's a member. Uh, it's expected that the church would have looked at the men in, that the Lord has placed in their midst and, and evaluated their qualifications and their calling. And so in the process of uh, calling a pastor to come and shepherd you, you need to know what are the biblical qualifications from the scriptures. Uh, you need to know what, what are the things that you would look out for. So it's relevant for you to know because uh, we, we believe that it's the members who are to make that call with the understanding that they've evaluated and assessed a man's qualification to the ministry. Mm. Yes. And I think in Acts 13, there is a beautiful picture of the congregation there in the church at Antioch playing this out. They really do make the Lord beautiful in our eyes in the way they participate because in chapter 13, verse 2, we are, of course, the Holy Spirit has said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work and to which I have called them. And then we are told the church sent them in uh, verse 2. Verse 3, the church sent them. And then in verse 4, we are told the Holy Spirit sent them. So so you you want to ensure you are sending out the man whom the Holy Spirit is sending out Mm. into the work of the ministry. And I think, again, in the book of Revelation, you see the Lord strongly rebuking churches that tolerated people to lead who are not allowed to lead. The church in Thyatira, their good works notwithstanding, they're really having uh, good, good fruit in many areas. But in, is it in verse 20? They are rebuked very strongly. Chapter 2 uh, of, of the book of Revelation, verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself 
a prophetess. And, and so this church is, is being rebuked for that. The, the previous church, the church of Pergamum, is also corrected for allowing those who hold on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans and the teaching of Balaam to be amongst them. And so the Lord has expectations upon the church to ensure that those who are given the role of leading are the ones who qualify for that role. Thank you, brother. Yes. I, I think generally also common sense has it that if you are going to fly a plane and you are told that the pilot is the cobbler, I'm sure you will be worried. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to put your, your eternity in the hands of someone who doesn't know what he's doing. So you have to be sure that you can vet, as they have said, be part of the process to raise a man that can lead the congregation and you being amongst them to heaven as the Lord will have you. That's my take. And I think finally, I, it's fair to say that uh, since it's in the word of God, we cannot neglect it. We, we have to uh, come to the knowledge and understanding of the world council of God. Yes. It isn't like there is a Bible written for, you know, manual for pastors. Yeah. The Bible is written as one book for all believers. No, I was just going to add a verse to what he said that Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders as must be interested in somebody who's going to keep watch over yourself. And be involved in from the point of them aspiring. You're not just involved, you know, when they are presented at the church meeting, you are involved when they share that desire. That's what we are saying. I think also, if you're going to hold them accountable, you must know the metrics. You must know what to hold them accountable of. Right. If, you're, if you're naive of the doctrines, the practices, then anything goes, and then it leads you astray. So you have to be versed and know what it takes to have a leader and what the, like they say, JD, the job description of that person is. So the person can be held accountable uh, at his work. Yeah, that, that job description you mentioned, we, we have in, obviously, First Timothy and Titus, a checklist. Mm -hmm. These are non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. Who is the discerner of these? Well, mm -hmm. Virgin tells us that we have to examine ourselves, our own piety, our own gifts, but, but then objectively that the people of God must recognize those gifts in order to put that who have are convinced they are fitted for leadership, who, who push themselves into that position. Um, and, and, and maybe the, the church didn't play the role they should have played Mm. and it, it doesn't end well. God has prescribed the way for ministers to be called, for the upswell in the congregation to say, yes, we can wholeheartedly put our hand on our hearts and say, all the boxes are checked here. None of these are secondary boxes to check. Uh, God tells us that he will provide for us. You know, there are many churches without pastors, and and. There's a, there's a whole role of mentoring and growing in that and a culture that needs to be there too. Um, but it worries me if men are pushing themselves forward. I think it should be the church pushing the man forward because they've already recognized the gifting, maybe in minor ways, before they get to stand behind a pulpit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to point out the flip side 
of churches where there is no accountability from the church whatsoever. What do we see? Uh, and we, I mean, we all uphold churches where the one man guitar, so to speak, one man army, uh, the church was not involved at all. And so there might be, it could be that you're even part of a church where men just push themselves and uh, there's no way you can tell them that they are not meeting the biblical criteria. There's no way you can hold them accountable. And the result is just tragic uh, where the church is not involved. So it becomes the church of that man rather than the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think when the minister is going through a difficult patch, which would, would come with that space of uh, being a pastor, if the onboarding process was weak, then the pastor may struggle with, am I really called to this? Think about Paul and Barnabas going through very difficult times as they were trying to witness to the Gentiles and them not having the privilege of remembering Acts 13 and wondering, did we send ourselves or were we sent? And so you want to give the pastor the privilege of knowing this process is, is robust. Paul refers to it when dealing with Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. He tells him, wage the good, wage the good uh, uh, warfare, remembering the laying on of hands. And in 1 Timothy 4.14, again, he reminds him, remember the elders who laid hands on you and then forge forward. So the church has a key role in fostering stick to encouraging the pastor to stick with it if they do a good job at that onboarding mm -hmm. stage. Yes, brother. Yeah, I think it's also a matter of relationship because the work of the ministry is not only the work of the church, is the work of the Lord, who is the head of the church. So there might be the responsibilities of the church, but also at a personal level, because mm. it doesn't start as a mushroom where you just start today on your own and poop, you go. So there must be, as said, the checklist, but also the church must bear in mind that we have the responsibility for the growth of this man. And if we know the calling, we, we have to make sure that the man fits with the responsibilities that the church is being given by the head of the church, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think what you said about relationship, um, what I hear you saying, and uh, also other brothers, is sorry for that, is the need for the church to grow to know these men, to encourage these men, or for some to be discouraged, in a sense, and be warned, uh, and be told on a personal level, before we even get there, that, hey, this, this is what I see, and it is our role as a church to play that part. That's what we are saying. So all of us are involved in this, whether we aspire to the ministry or not. Yeah. And then, then there's a responsibility for the church to 
saturate the man in prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Without that, I mean, it's a terrible situation. Yes. People often don't see the work that goes on behind the scenes and the pressures that are there. And, you know, it always seems very self-serving to say that as a pastor, you know, oh, woe is me. No, no, no. There are many, many blessings of being in the pastorate. Um, But I cannot stress strongly enough um, the need for involvement, the need for support, the need for prayer, the need for personal relationships from the rest of my family as well in the church, where my wife may now slightly sit to one side away from other people because her husband is the pastor. And so it is essential that the church, the membership, the individuals are involved in this whole process of support from prayer all the way down to caring for the children and and other things, other ways they can help practically as well. It's, It's not just about the man standing at the front at the pulpit. It's a bigger picture than that. This is not one man's ministry, as it was already said. This is the church growth together. Mm. So it, it, it gets even more interesting when you read Hebrews 13. Um, if you do not get involved and the man becomes unprofitable, it is you that is going to lose. You are, not, you are the one that will become, it will become unprofitable to you, the members of the church. Hebrews 13 said, uh, verse 17 said, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for the watch over you. Watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for you. You get to lose when you do not know what you should be doing to your elder, who is supposed to be. Sometimes the elder wants to, or the pastor wants to know you and want to get to know you better, and you think it's intrude into your space and you don't get to submit yourself but then you are doing yourself a disfavor you are, you are going to be you're going to lose at the end of the day not him so knowing getting involved in the process knowing the role of the elder those who are aspiring to be elders helps you more even than the elder itself that's what i'll say you said something interesting uh maybe at a we could come back to this but you're also saying that as the whole church is involved that then these men who want to be sorry, who want to be involved in the ministry then ought to open up their lives. And, 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 and I think that's a, a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity for us now to go into the person himself. Or, yeah. Before we go to the person, I'm also uh, thinking that it is the church that pays the pastor. Uh, you need to know the man that you are hiring. Uh-huh. Uh, you need to be involved in his, uh, in when he is coming in because eventually you would be the one paying him. Mm. Um, and, mm. and the Bible does say that very clearly. I suppose we would see that. But mm. in, in Galatians, you're told to do that. Yes. Um, see to it that, uh, you know, uh, one who is taught the word must share all the good things with the one who teaches. Mm and many other passages like in 1 Corinthians 9 and so forth. So clearly, because you would be, you would be paying this man, then you better know what kind of man he is. So you're even saying we need to know his needs yep. so that by the time he's coming in, we already know that this is one area we need to support him. And I mean, the, the call to give double honor 
requires evaluation because they are all elders, but we are saying this one is worthy of double honor. It means the church has a responsibility to not just assess at the onboarding level, but on a continuous basis to be able to appreciate that we have a biblical mandate to give double honor to this amongst the elders. I also think it, obviously, sometimes the men come from within the congregation and, and you see the maturity, you see the gifts, and they're recognized, but then sometimes uh, you, you get a man coming from outside who maybe you get to hear preach a few times and you have to make a judgment. And it's so critical to ask the right questions uh, mm. at the early stages mm. uh, about, for example, the man's holiness. Mm. Uh, I've often heard said a church will rarely exceed the piety of the pastor. Mm. So when somebody's coming from outside, the, the onboarding process is, is essential. Mm. You've really got to think through that process and, mm. and make sure you dig deep mm. and uh, ask his previous church and ask his wife and ask his children, mm. is this the man that you see at home that we see in the pulpit? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. As we go now to look at the man, um, and uh, for those who are joining us online and those who are here, we will be... I'll open it up for you to ask questions. For those who are online, you can ask your questions on the chat, uh, the YouTube or uh, Facebook chat, and then hopefully uh, I will see them and communicate them. So just uh, keep your questions, and uh, then uh, I will allow you to bring them. So let's look at the man then. This, the person who then aspires to the ministry, the gospel ministry. What are some of the tests that you ought, first of all, to do on your own self before other people test you? Actually, maybe I should even ask that. Should you test yourself? Should you look at your own life before others look at you? Well, actually, I was just reading before this lectures to my students by Spurgeon. Hmm. Chapter one is test yourself. Uh And um, from, I think, First Timothy 4. Mm. And, and actually, <laughs> almost the first question in that book is so basic. <laughs> Make sure you are a believer. Mm. That, this is the man aspiring to ministry. Right. Make sure you are a believer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Spurgeon, why do you have to say that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so basic. But, but we see so many churches where, you know, we don't see the heart, but we see the evidence. And, and we have to conclude... Perhaps this man is not a believer. And so that's the self-examination is, is critical here. Mm. Honest self-examination, mm. biblical self-examination. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, that, excuse me, just, just that whole matter of being a convert is there in First Timothy 3.6. Not, not, not just a convert, but that he mustn't be a recent convert. I just want to add to that. Uh, we, with African Pastors Conferences, we go over Africa, and we've heard many times uh, pastors who are not realized they're actually not Christians uh, after a conference. Um, and, and the classic text that we can go to is First Timothy 3 mm. and Titus chapter 1 that gives us the qualifications for a, for a pastor elder. And, and that mainly is character qualifications. So first of all, like I agree with 
my brothers, he has to be a Christian. And, but there are other qu character qualifications there and it all deals with basically he must be a mature Christian. You cannot push some, somebody who's, who's been a recent convert, as Paul states in 1 Timothy 3, he must not be a recent convert, but there are other qualifications as well. He, mustn't, he must be hospitable. Mm -hmm. He must be respectable, holy, uh, a husband of one wife, um, above reproach, you know, uh, uh, not given to much wine and, and other character qualifications. He must have certain character qualifications. That's very important. But he also must um, be able to teach. Uh, and that's where the congregation also comes in. The congregation must uh, observe his teaching. Is he, does he understand the basic tenets of the Christian faith, does he understand doctrine, and is he able to actually teach that in a way that people can understand? Because some people, um, you know, they, they teach, but then people come, go, out, go out the building, they don't understand what, what was being said. So, so and that, that's very important. Um, oh, there's a few things I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah so but, um, if you read First Timothy 3, the first word that jumps out there is, if the man desires. There's this emotional part, the psychological part of the man himself, which you test yourself. Do you desire this office? And the word desire there, it's a very interesting word. It's only used three times in the, in the, in the New Testament. You use ones to describe the rich as they go after money. Mm. You see how a rich man, one more dollar, they go break their bank, break their back to get every deal done. That kind of desire. The other time it was used was in Hebrews 11 verse 16 about those who desire heaven more than this earth. Mm. So these are strong words to, to describe the kind of desire you should have because this office is a, like someone said, a flesh-wrenching work. It will deny you of everything. You are, the, you are the focal point of the enemy's attack. So your desire should not be just, uh, it should go beyond just wanting to read the Puritans and Oh, evangelize those on the street. You must go over and above the, the normal Christian. You must be willing to lay down your life. And that's why I think Spurgeon once said that if you can do anything else, please do. I think the idea might be save yourself the trouble, my brother. Don't, don't just go and get, do, do something else. Because this work, you are going to be right in the forefront of the, of the battle. So, that desire is one thing I think we should ask ourselves, those who are aspiring for the office, do I really desire this? Can I die for this? Or will I go six months or six years because of a scandal in church, because of some difficulty in church? Will I quit? Will I abandon ship? Will I abandon the ship, the, the flock of God, when it gets to a point where I'm overwhelmed? That is the big test to give ourselves when we're aspiring for the ministry. Um about the aspiration, then very closely tied to that in terms of personal tests in order to know whether I should go into the ministry or not, is to ask what is my motivation for wanting to go into this work? Why do I want to be a pastor? What is it that I hope to do for the Lord and for the flock? And um, of course it should be that you're willing to do this work, you have the desire, and you're not just being forced to do it because, again, uh, Peter does say very clearly that you should do this willingly, not under compulsion. 
but the point is, unless the motive is is clear, there is a uh, there is a possibility that you will perhaps abandon the flock, maybe go in a different direction, and end up end up becoming a wolf instead of um, a shepherd. So it's absolutely important that we ask ourselves, why do I want to come into this world? It should be that we are convinced that the Lord would have us do this work. Last month, I was talking to two potential elders and asking them, why do you want to do this work? And, and one brother said that because I cannot do anything else. Uh, this is what I believe the Lord has given me to do. I must do it, whether I like it or not, he said. Mm-hmm. And, Woe is uh, me if I don't preach the gospel. Yeah, that's what came to my mind when he said that. Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. I, think, sorry, I just remembered um, when Jesus, when Peter denied um, Jesus and Jesus reinstated him, Jesus asked him three questions. Do you love me? And I think that's very important in the pastoral ministry. You must love the Lord. Uh, you must have a burning love for him and therefore a love for the flock. Mm-hmm. And Jesus asked that question three times to, uh, to, to Peter, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, you know that I love you, Lord. And just paraphrasing. But that's, that's very important because um, in pastoral ministry or any kind of ministry, there's going to be much opposition. There's going to be uh, very difficult things you have to go through and suffering. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, uh, you know, suffer for the gospel and uh, be a good soldier. And that, that's what ministry is all about. It's about going through suffering. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you're not called, you're going to quit halfway through. So, uh, and, and, but the thing that will keep you going is, you know, you're a Christian the Holy Spirit is within you. You have a burning love for the Lord, and the Lord sustains you in that ministry. So uh, you have to ask yourself the question, do I love the Lord? And if you love the Lord, um, I think in, with other qualifications, that will, that, that will get you through. Maybe if I can then ask these brothers, just on that. <clears throat> so here's a situation. Um, a young man says, I desire, I love the Lord, I want to do ministry. But then I'm worried and concerned that probably the church will not be able to take care of my needs or to support me. In such a situation, um, what happens uh, or how should we look at the aspiration of this man. Is it watered down by the fact that they have anxieties? Are anxieties enough to water down that part of aspiration? Because they tend to come together. Yes. I think the desire shouldn't be determined by the expectations. Uh, If we read the book of Acts 9 and verse 15, uh, we are given an example of Paul. Uh, Paul was in the middle of maybe not fully knowing whatever is ahead of him. But whatever he knows is that God is calling me 
for his work. And here the Bible says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Yeah, so an encouragement maybe when we think in line with uh, how uh, my ministry maybe is going to be supported, we better think of whatever God has done before and how much we should trust him. So everything that has been said comes to play here because this man is not calling himself and he's not sending himself out. So he's in the context of a church that uh, hopefully understands something of what this ministry entails mm -hmm. and then other leaders who also have a say in his qualification for that office. Mm. You know, so I think those things will be addressed in that area. I think oftentimes it is that the support will it meet um, the my you know what I have what I perceive to be my needs level you know if he's somebody who is already a working man or if he has a certain living standard then his concern is often not so much whether he will be supported but whether that support will meet uh, I think in one experience that tends mm -hmm. to be the case you know but he's not sending himself out there are men there who are working alongside him to confirm that call upon his life you know and so I think that concern, as our brother has just said, should not take the first place. The desire <coughs> should be so compelling because it is the Lord who is calling mm. that he indeed learns to trust the Lord who has called him. Yeah, so you're saying actually that there are two things. Support to maintain versus support maybe to maintain a certain lifestyle. That's, that's an area. I'm not saying that's it for every okay. person who has that concern, mm. but I'm saying that that tends to be the case unless you are just one random fellow who is just going out. Because <laughs> if you're in the church, the church is going to send you out with support. You know, so I think that that concern also has to be addressed. Uh, I think the Lord does address that mm -hmm. very directly in <clears throat> 10. Um, verse 10. In verse 9, it says to the 12, Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belt. No bed for your journey, no two tunics, no sandals, no stuff. For the laborer deserves his food. Uh, verse ten, and we know that uh, that verse ten is quoted in uh, in First Timothy five eighteen, I think. Eighteen. Um, the point is, if what compels you, if if, and that's why I address the question of motivation. Um, if it's out of love for the Lord, then you will count your life as of no value. And uh, you will <clears throat> go, even though with nothing, knowing that the Lord will somewhat provide. Um, if you are overtaken by the anxieties of how will I, what will I eat, what will I wear, then the Lord would be telling you in Matthew 6 that you're just like a Gentile. I mean, I care for the burns of the air and the lilies of the field I dress. Uh, you know, are you not more valuable than those? Mm -hmm. So, yes, of course we have needs. We want to eat and all that. But we also need to have enough 
faith in the Lord that we are serving, that he would be able to provide for our need. Uh, we need to put our hands to the plow, and the Lord will, uh, will, will provide, because he does say himself that the laborer deserves his wages. You, you're not going to be paid before you work, right? I mean, there is no job where you are paid before you do the work. So I think the attitude should be, I know the Lord, he's my master, he's my savior, he knows my needs, uh, I'll get on with the work, and along the way the Lord will provide. And it's true. When you do things right, in the context of a local church, we do our, the ministry that the Lord has entrusted upon us in the context of the local church, then we should be, the church should be able to, to, to provide, so that you don't have to raise your, thing, your hand asking, what do I eat? Yes. I just want to say, uh, yeah, the thing with provision is sometimes complicated because sometimes um, the church is very small. They can't, cannot support the pastor well or fully, like in our <laughs> church. And uh, so, yes, I, I fully agree with we must trust the Lord to provide in our needs. Uh, we must fully trust that He will provide in all our needs. If we are called into the ministry, God will provide, but he will not always provide in the same way. Not all of your support will necessarily come from your local church. And we see also examples of that in, in ministers in the past, and many ministers even today. They are tent makers, and tent make, by, by tent maker we mean they are bivocational. They are in the ministry part-time, but they also have maybe another ministry that supports them, or they are in a secular setting, like Paul was. He was a tent maker. Sometimes... He was, uh, you know, working on tents and providing for himself. So it's not necessarily that your whole salary will be uh, provided for from your local church. So, and I think the only way, you know, God will, if God, if God guides you into the ministry, He will provide for you. But sometimes it may mean that you will have to go part time. You're still in the ministry, still uh, involved in the ministry. But you will have to do something else to to uh, to to help you uh, go, you know, support your family and so on. Um, but the ideal is always that this, the church, if it's large enough, and if there's enough members who can support the pastor, that you're fully supported, that you can give yourself fully to the preaching of the word and and ministering in the church. Um, yeah, the Lord will support you however He does it. But the question is. If there are 10 members who are faithfully giving to the work of the Lord, uh, should, should just those 10 members give a tithe, then they would bring their pastor at an average level where they are living. And, and if one is prepared to live at that level, then it should be fine. The problem is sometimes members are so poor that they... Then you want to live above them, and that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and maybe that's, that's where the question is then, Brother Murungi, that someone probably, let's say you've come from a background where you, you are an engineer, you had a good job that paid you above the average salary of that country. And therefore, you were able to afford um, a, a, medical, a, a medical cover, you were able to afford maybe live in a good house, but then here's the situation that you aspire for the ministry, but then you're looking at the situation and you're thinking, if I go there, I'll have to forsake all this. 
and someone is right there now, caught up. What, what do I do? I really want to go into the ministry, but I don't also want to lose. You love the Lord, you will lose it. Okay. <laughs> so yes. I, I think we, uh, I mean, personal testimony or experience, yeah, rather. Please. We both were thrown into the ministry without any mention of any pay for two years. And so, um, and then, but again, the Lord just came alongside. We were working, he was working, I was working, entrepreneur, he was working in the company, and it was hell because the work was fully loaded. And then you, you are compelled because you see the work. You see that it, this has to be done. And, but then, like he said, along the way, the Lord came and started helping here and there. And we are still in the midst of it. So I think it's actually a um, case-by-case scenario, I think, depending on where you are from. Some people, maybe they end up above the average of that country. Some have learned to uh, really, really go low. And it depends on your case. But the one thing also we must take, in, take into consideration is your family, your wife. I'm, I'm, I know we're going to get there soon, but no matter how zealous you think you are, no matter how you are trusting the Lord to provide for you while you are at work, if your family says no, we want the milk on the table every day. Milk, cream, and butter. You are going to be in trouble. <laughs> So, you see, that's why it becomes a case-by-case scenario where you have to talk to other elders, talk to people, assess your home and ensure you're not just launching onto the deep with your desire alone, but watching over and seeing that you're, you're carrying your family along, your wife and your children along. So there's even a place of winning over your family. Yes. Where you want to go and tell them, hey, we might be able to afford milk, but we might not have butter. So, you, so like I said, mm-hmm. a pastor must be a good salesman. You must be able to convince your wife <laughs> that this journey, I mean, sell eternity to them and let them know that the, the, the reward is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And if they go along, then you're fine. Okay. Good. Good. Tell my wife, eh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Watch it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's, it's, a, it's one of the good reasons why we were saying everybody should participate in this because you never know. Tomorrow it might be your husband who you <laughs> never nice. thought would yeah. be a pastor, mm. having this burden to be one. and uh, uh, Or your son comes to you. It's a common thing for mm. parents to so resist their children. Well, they are no longer children at that stage. Mm. They are young adults, perhaps, like is the case with John Stott, and a number who'd come home and say, I, I, I have been called to the ministry. And the parents are really struggling with, with saying yes to that because there is a sense in which they know there is a huge financial or material trade-off that they are going to make if they step away from what they are doing or what they've been trained for vocationally to be in the ministry. And I'm, I'm just saying mm-hmm. again, it's good that you're here. It's good that you're watching at home, even if you are not aspiring to, to be a pastor. Yeah. Uh, it's peculiar for Africa. Mm. Peculiar for Africa, yeah. Uh, if I could then, in that light, give my own testimony as far as uh, call to the ministry, because this is something I grappled with uh, at the point of the, of the call. Uh, should I leave my teaching job and become a pastor? And all my relatives were like, no, you can't do that. You can be 
a teacher as well as a pastor, but not just a pastor. Mm. And the reason behind all that was financial uh, challenges. But my thought process was, look, if I became a pastor, if I, if I continued to be a pastor, uh, a teacher, there was no guarantee that I would make it in life financially. Mm. And if I became a pastor, there was no, it's not custom stone that now I've signed poverty contract, I'm going to die poor. Mm. So I thought, whether I became a, a teacher or a pastor, the odds were the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I better than become a pastor mm -hmm. and serve the Lord and be sure that I'm fulfilling what I believe is God's call in my life. Mm. Whether I, I become poor or not, it doesn't matter. The Lord will look after me. After all, being a pastor is a better guarantee that the Lord will look after me <laughs> than being a teacher. Who knows whether the government will fire me any day? Yeah. So that's how I worked out my, you know, my things. And I said, pastor it is. You've heard it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, let's, let's transition then to another question. Um, again, please. If you have any questions, uh, just uh, keep them, uh, and then I will, I will open it up for Q&A. For those, again, who are watching us uh, via uh, the live stream, you can write your questions on the chat, and I will bring it to this man. So another area then. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, I had a book here I would like you to read. Yes, please do. Yeah, it's The Path to Being a Pastor, and subtitle is A Guide for the Aspiring. It's a book uh, produced by Nine Marks. Mm -hmm. It's written by Bobby Jomison. Okay. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a good book. Thank you. Thank I, you. I wonder whether in that vein mm -hmm. it would also be fitting to recommend Piper's uh, We Are Not Professionals. Yes. Uh, that brothers, we are not brothers, we are not professionals. Okay. Anyone else wants to plug in a book? Well, I just want to mention the book that he mentioned, Lectures to My Students from uh, ah, Charles Spurgeon. Right. Very good book on, uh, yeah, on what you think through before you enter into pastoral ministry. Yeah, there's another one, a, a rather small paperback, Ed Clowney, the Call to the Ministry, mm. which is a, a good book to look through as well. And I saw it today at the art book table. All right. So let me go to, then to the next area, which is, so someone is already done with the first part. They have looked at their own lives. They've uh, opened up themselves to examination by the church, and they've gotten to a place where they and the church agree that, hey, let's, let's do this. You can go into the ministry. But then how do you determine where to go? what kind of ministry to do, which do I serve where I, I am right now? Um, do I go and do a church plant in another town? Do I go to an unreached people group? Do I go and help a brother who has planted a church to strengthen that congregation? How then do, uh, how would you, how would we work out these things? Um, yes. Brother, you can start us off. Um, I think the first thing is uh, to know the position, that uh, you are not just going alone. You are being sent. Mm. 
So it's a matter of discussing with the sending church. Secondly, um, we scratch where it's itching. So it's not basically of where there are tall buildings and uh, city centers. We go where the need is. So probably we can prioritize the places where we think uh, there is high need of the work. Yeah, I would say there's a, a great need for concerted prayer, not just from yourself and your family, but the congregation that you're currently a part of. Because all of this assumes um, that you are already serving, that you are already demonstrating gifts. Mm -hmm. This isn't, okay, I've just decided to be a pastor. Uh, we've, we've all decided together, green light, go. No, we, there's been much evidence, much service, much gift development, because um, we all have spiritual gifts, whether we're pastors or not. And, and then these specific gifts that we're told of in Titus and First Timothy lead in this direction, mm. and they should be evident during the process, before the process starts, you know, young men helping in different areas. Where can I do things? Where can I speak first? Maybe you can give them a youth group to talk at for 10 minutes. And this is a little test. And then there's another test. And, then, and so all the way through this process, leading up to this point, a group of people have, have agreed now that you have this gifting, that you have checked all these boxes and there is much wisdom in speaking to many people, in having a mentor, in asking their advice. And there may be stages to this thing. I've, I've seen people become a Christian, and two years later, I want to move to South America. And it, it just it doesn't go well. The question is, how are you serving in your church currently? How are you continuing to develop? What's the plan? Not just... Okay, let's set sail, see what happens. There is wisdom in, in, in considering and praying and planning. Mm. That's a means that God uses. And, and therefore, if people are seeing, okay, you're an independent guy, you've traveled a bit, you can you have the kind of temperament that we think maybe in a little while you could lead a church by yourself. Or you might be the kind of person who needs other elders around you immediately. Um, there's so many factors here that we need to prayerfully consider together. Mm. Um, and there are ways to test these things before going out and risking something. Mm. Risk is not the right word mm. when we believe in the sovereignty of God. But there's a place for sober-minded realism here right. uh, that we have to be careful and considerate and judge ourselves and our gifts and ask men you know to judge that too. Do you think I could, I could go to this unreached people group? Do you think I could set up a church in this city where there's a, a number of thousands of people where there's no current church? And leaning on others' wisdom as, as alongside a diligent seeking of God's will. Mm. Mm. I, I remember... Uh, Fifteen years ago, I had the privilege of spending some time with uh, uh, Conrad Bewe, and uh, I was telling him that uh, I aspire to go to the least reached communities. And he had a few questions for me. He asked me, um, 
Uh, how do you know that the Lord is calling you there? Has anyone invited you to, you know, amongst the least reached people? Has, the, has your church sent you? Does your church have the resources to send you? Um, and, uh, and then he was asking me, have you had discussions with your pastors to know uh, whether their, mind, their, their minds were in that direction? And eventually, as I answered these questions, you know, I could see that, no, actually, I can't go, mm-hmm. even though I wanted to go. Um, mm-hmm. So eventually, that helped me a lot in, uh, in coming to Nairobi because the following year, I got the invitation to come and do internship here with a view of going out again. But then there was another question he had asked me about um, whether there is a providential opening Mm. that you're seeking to meet, Uh, whether there is a door open for you in this area so that then, you know, you seek to walk through that that door. Um, And so he told me, uh, what you need to do is, um, uh, if you aspire to the ministry, put your gifts to the table of your church. Mm-hmm. Serve there. And as you serve, then the Lord will make it abundantly clear whether you should remain there or go out with your own church. And, and this all underscores the fact that we are part of a local church. And whatever we do is sanctioned and, and blessed by your elders and by your church. Then when you go out, <laughs> you have their prayers, you have their support, you have their involvement, and, and you have everything that you needed so that in case you fell into uh, headwinds, then you, can, you, know, you know a place where you, you may go back. I just want to mention a testimony as well. Um, 2016, I was planning to go to Thailand, and I was, uh, uh, wanted to be, I lived there for a year in 2012, very unreached uh, country in the world, 99, less than 1% Christian. And I was planning, and I, I really had a desire to go. And I still, in a certain sense, have a desire to pray for them as well. And, but in God's providence, and I, I want to just affirm what he said, uh, God, God's providence led me differently. There was a, in our church, there was an opening. One of the pastors came to me, and uh, the church as well uh, uh, wanted me to uh, consider being an a, a elder at the church. And I was... Then I started praying about that. And then another opening, a big ministry in our church, APC, was also opening up. And I also prayed about that. And, and eventually I just started moving in that direction. And eventually God made it very clear. Although I had a plan, yes, I believed I was called to preach the gospel. But it was not the right time when God had another plan for me. And through His providence and through... The, the church and through the leaders of the church basically directed me in a different way. So if you have a desire to, and God has called you through the local church, uh, and you have a desire to move in a certain direction, if you trust the Lord, I believe He will direct you into the right direction. And you must just trust the Lord and through His providence, through the church, through the elders, through the, and also what is right in front of you. Uh, I believe God will God will lead you, and and that's a very important aspect. Uh, I think, um, yeah, because there are many openings. I mean, there are unreached people groups all all, all around the world, but uh, uh, yeah, it must obviously it must, the church must also send you to a certain. It must be the vision of the church, also, and affirming that that desire or call. I'm, 
I'm also thinking um, of a situation where you have <clears throat> you have giftings, you have graces, but then, quote unquote, um, there are no openings. Let's say in your local church, and maybe the openings that you're seeing out there, the uh, the elders, for example, the church would say, okay, we don't think you are ready for that. So in a sense, you are stuck. How do we handle such a situation? Because here you are, you're in a sense ready and ripe, but there's no opening. Nothing is happening. So I'll give a personal example too. When I came to the Lord afresh, uh, okay, let me say I've been doing my own thing, then I came to my church now, and I had a desire to go to Capro. Capro is a, it's a mission group that goes out to the north, northern part of Nigeria. And I was really, in my heart, I thought to myself, I'm going to be a missionary out there in the field. And so I spoke to the elder in the church, and he told me, um, he just told me I was not fit for that. That uh, why go to the northern part of Nigeria where, where there is a mission field here in Lagos? And that mission field was to teach children. Now, if I was proud, and I think, and hell-bent of going out there to, be, to, to become the next William Carey, you see, I'm going to make a mistake. So, but I just listened to him. I stayed put, and I stayed. I've been there for like 10, 12 years teaching children. But from teaching children, I've been able to grow. I went to university, and now the, op- the office of an elder came on. Deacon came up. I became a deacon, and I became an elder. In my mind, I never thought I would be an elder or dick. I just want to be a missionary. So, like he said, if your elders say this is not the right thing and they open doors of opportunity to you, just do it. We, we, we think, um, and I'll take the word from Sam, Sam Petrona. I said, people think an adult congregation is better than a children's congregation. No. If I'm ministering to 10 children, and you have 50 children, and you have a church of 50, they are the same. They are souls. So once you see ministry as, like he preached today, power of God unto salvation is the gospel, and it's not how you or what you do. It's God's word. You are just there to just pass it on. Pass it on to whoever God brings your way. I think that sincerity is a big test for us. Can you preach to the vilest of men, to the lowest of man, to, the, to a child, to a baby, or you are seeking the big pulpit, mm. you are seeking the big opportunity, how do you define ministry? What are you aspiring to? You want to be known, you want to be the next uh, Spurgeon, or you want to be just a man that will preach the gospel. That will help to decide that kind of dilemma. So I, think, I think the principle there is that our own desires serve to the church. Unless we take that attitude, we're not likely to go far in ministry. That yes, I have my desires, I have my gift, uh, I have my conviction, but what does the church say about me? Do they think I'm qualified? Do they think that I'm, I have the gift? Are there doors and opportunities that are being opened? Then you submit yourself. No, I just think the question ties in with you know the discussion on providence earlier, um, because look at the situation with the Macedonian vision that Paul and Co. were rejected twice, and then the Macedonian vision happened, and that was where the Lord will have him go. Right. So obviously, 
um, that, that, that's critical. Though I, this is sort of a question, you know, just for the rest of the brothers to also um, think about. What would we say about, because you think of the Great Commission and the Lord Jesus Christ says, go into all the world. And then he gives Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. Is there a place where we are, as he said earlier, I don't remember the phrase you used. Um, That's where it itches. Exactly, where it itches. So there is a need. There are openings, as you said. There are openings everywhere. And when you think about the Spirit of the Lord barring Paul on two occasions, but we say we're just going to launch in and because we are trusting the Lord still, and we, it may be that the Lord will not have us be there and somehow the door is shut. But that trial, do you think that we should also, you know, launch out clearly so that in the case where this brother is convinced that the Lord is calling him and he wants to go to, say, the north, for example, and the elders are not sure, and then we say, okay, let's give it a try. Do you think that that's something that a church might consider as well? I would think, uh, in fact, I would even go on to say where you find yourself in a church where you, there is no deliberate effort to develop your gift, sharpen your skills and give you opportunities to ministry, and uh, you are having these conversations with your pastors about it and they are not interested, then you may as well consider leaving that church and go to the church where you are likely to be evaluated again and assessed and be sent wherever else. Uh, I think that's also an option. So, also want to mention, um, I mean, we have clear marching orders from Jesus, going to all the world and preach the gospel. We are we are called to go and make disciples, not only of people that have known Christ, but also of where the gospel is not known. So, we have to be intentional. Uh, it depends on your church. What are they capable of? Can do that? But I think healthy churches, churches, churches that are growing, should be looking outward and planting churches into unreached areas. We should be always praying for the unreached, <laughs> even though they are difficult. I mean, that, that, that didn't stop Paul from going to places. He was persecuted, he was beaten, but he was in the will of God. So just because it's going to be difficult and difficult areas, we shouldn't necessarily stop us from from going somewhere or considering or praying about that? I think that aspect of a church not being able to. I, I don't think that there is a church that can say we're not able to because it's not the only church that exists. They can approach other churches and seek to do the work together. Yeah. Yes, brother. Uh, maybe for the sake of question, would you please repeat it because it sounded like he, he was finding out about the decision of the elders or the church with regard to you wanting going to somewhere, but they are saying, no, you, you, you are not going. And what should we do? Isn't, isn't that what you was asking? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think you are still in line. They might say no for good reasons. Mm. And then you learn. But then they, if they say no, and from what Pastor Murungi said, they are saying no because they are lazy, they are not willing to obey the gospel commission, they don't want to develop your gift, then look for a better church. I think that that's <coughs> to answer. I want to agree with him, uh, Pastor Murungi, is that yeah, if, if, if there seems to be a blockage in the eldership, yeah. Yeah. they don't want to go out, going to new grounds, doing more, 
then it's good to have partnerships. I mean, every church is good for any church, local church, to be in partnership with other churches, like-minded churches. Like in South Africa, we're part of Solar Five. There are other like-minded churches. So if there is an individual or an elder in the church who desires to go to a specific place, but those elders may not, in the specific church might not have the same vision. There might be other churches, local churches in that association that have the vision, and you can work together. So uh, I don't think necessarily in the local church have the determining, can I say, my vote, to if, you, if that's really in the will of God, uh, then it will eventually work out in God's providence, and you will get the support from other like-minded churches. Um, yeah, thank you. Let me <clears throat> go into this, and then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just ask one question that uh, is there online. What is the place of training, um, formal or formal? So what is the place, for example, of seminary um, if I aspire to the ministry? Must I go to a seminary? Um, even when I have an opportunity to, can I say no and uh, simply be trained informally within the church? Is one, is one better than the other, or are both good? Can, can they augment each other? Uh, when I talk about informal, I mean just the training within the congregation, uh, working with the elders, working with the men who are already... In, in, in the front line versus being trained, even if it's within the church, but having uh, formal classes where you have this lesson, this exam, uh, that kind of a um, situation. So where, where is the place of that? Yeah, I, I would say all of those are, are an option in the providence of God. We, we have the examples of Spurgeon. We can always turn to that one, age 17, congregation of hundreds. Um, but he, he's likely the exception to, to the rule. Um, and even he himself was an, was an eternal student. Uh, so there's always the place for growth. There's always learning more. We can never plumb the depths of the beauty and loveliness of Christ. Uh, so that always remains true. I, I think of another man in Scotland, uh, Brownlow North. Jeff Thomas wrote a book about him. And he fell outside all of the rules of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, uh, the Free Church of Scotland. And, and, and yet they had an exception. They say, if you want to be a minister in our churches, you must pass all these exams and all these lists of things that you have to do. But God may specially equip a person. And it was so clear that this man, Brownlow North, was blessed by God in his ministry, had not touched a theological college or a seminary at all. Yet even those very strict rules to get through, to learn Latin and all of those things they used to do, they said, but we recognize that God may specially equip people. And so, you know, in, in, in my church in Grand Rapids, we have uh, students who go to the seminary one mile away, Puritan Seminary. And we also have students uh, who go to Reformed Baptist Seminary. One is a model where you are residential and you are intensively working at studies. Another is a model where you stay in your church 
And both of those models work side by side. And frankly, for me, because I'm a non-vocational pastor, I have a, another a job alongside being a pastor, I needed to be relocated right next to a seminary to focus my mind to get the learning done, or my job would just take every moment of my time. So for me personally, I needed the formal training. I needed to be in the best learning environment for me, which was alongside other students and the peer pressure to get this done by this date and to learn this in the area of soteriology, salvation. I mean, or something else. And so for me, that was the best model. But it might not be for somebody, somebody else. I think there's, there's absolutely the biblical model, model of training men up within the church. But there's, there's also a place for seminary training, pushing further. There's some subjectivity. There's some personal prayerful decisions that need to be made. I don't think this is a, a, you know, a yes-no answer. We're not saying one is better than the other. We're saying what works out providentially. Again, I think I need to add that uh, the emphasis is talk about these things with your pastor. Uh -huh. don't, don't just, you know, uh, check, check the pastor and say, oh, you know, I enrolled at the Puritan Reformed uh, Seminary. I'm relocating next week. Uh, if you're going to do things that way, then your ministry may not be very helpful. We are very fortunate today in, in Africa or in the world that we can have, uh, you can have, you can stay with your job and and do seminary training online. There are so many places in South Africa. You have Makanya. You have people that can go up to master's level while they're doing their job, and they can, you know, you have all these different kinds of courses. So there are actually endless possibilities. But I think the the emphasis is on good theological training, and if you are very disciplined in going through systematic theologies, good ones, and studying Greek and Hebrew, those things are very helpful in ministry, then you probably don't need to go to, to a seminary. But, but not but most people, I don't think, are that disciplined <laughs> to, to do it on their own. Um, so therefore, those, things are, yeah, those seminaries are there. Okay. So let me ask uh, an, an, an interesting question, uh, brother. Um, and I'm saying it's interesting because it's, it's a real challenge for many men who aspire for the ministry. And it is, this is to do with their future spouse or their current spouse. So how does the choice of a spouse for someone who is single affect their aspirations for the ministry? Or does it affect their aspirations for the ministry? Okay? And for those who are married, how do the needs of their spouse affect their aspiration for the ministry? Because here you have a young man who has passed to the ministry. But then maybe they are dating a a lady who is not given to the kind of sacrifices you brothers have talked about. It's not even that necessarily she is ungodly. It's just that she will not give herself to that. 
and, and, and here you have another situation where it's someone who is already married, and I think you already talked about this, but let's just go back to it, where the, the wife is saying, I understand, I, 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 I fully understand your desire, but then I just want us to continue having that life of milk, butter, and cream. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think um, I've had to cancel two, two guys about this, and, and I just saw that they were going to head into trouble. Number one, they will just put the lady into trouble mm. because they are not considering the woman. Look at the qualifications in First Timothy 3. Some of it, what, what makes an elder, you see that it's not actually the man, it's the woman. If, I mean, the man's supposed to uh, probably oversee his home, keep his children subjection. Uh, Pastor Mulungi is busy studying for the seminary and reading and traveling. Who oversees the home? Who makes sure ASAP and Gaius is under subjection? It's Sister Charity. If, so as you think of the office and the ministry, you must think of the woman. You must be sure. So when you when, look at the Proverbs 31 woman, at some point in that chapter, her husband is with the elders. He's known among the, at the gate. If, if it was the home where there was trouble, he would be known for the wrong reason. Mm. And so the pressure of the office comes heavily on the woman. And so you must, we must be careful. We must drop our, fans, fan, uh, our, our fancies. We must not equate ourselves with our peers in the church. Some, some, some of us, uh, you see some lovely couple come to church. They are always sitting together. Uh, if you are going to the ministry, you come early, you are up fixing things, getting things ready, and your wife wants you to sit with him, with her rather. How will you cope? Because, and how will you explain to her that you can't, I can't sit with you. I have to be up and doing. Mm. So if you know that she wants that, respect her and go for the other person that will give herself. So it's so important. You're you, it's, you dump her. Not dump. No. <laughs> I'm not, you, you're not married now. You're not married now. You're not married now. Yeah. But if you are married, like I said, if you are married, then you must be a salesman, like I told you. <laughs> you must sell to her. Mm. And this is where your, the work comes, where you may ensure that you are growing spiritually with her. Mm. If you are seen like Abraham, you've been given a promise, but you know the promise is a city built by God. But she thinks it's a city built at Karen, in Karen, in mm. Nairobi. Then there's trouble. But she's expecting a flat in, in Nairobi. You are thinking of a city in heaven. There's going to be a problem. So, but the two of you are growing spiritually. And you have moved from Canaan to the heavenly city. And then it's, it flows. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Sorry, I'm online. I'm live. So I've seen people get into trouble. Mm. We have handled difficult situations. And you know that you can't really blame the woman. I, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I won't place all the blame on the woman. I blame the man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know this is the journey. Why go for her? Somebody is sick and needs to be catered for. You can't do the ministry with that person. Just uh -huh. pass by. Somebody who can take care of that woman will come and they will live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. 
that's the advantage of, um, I suppose, knowing that you are inclined this direction mm. while you're spending. Cool. So that you actually make that very informed decision, mm -hmm. you know, the choice of a spouse, because some of us were already married and then we actually felt the call. You know, so, I, I mean, it's not a rule in scripture. I mean, Paul obviously seems to favor 1 Corinthians 7, that the, the folks basically do not mind so they can give themselves entirely to the Lord. You know, but 1 Timothy 3 is not saying that you must be married. It's saying that if you're married, obviously, you're married to one woman. But I think wisdom, and I trust the brothers will also agree, and not using Spurgeon as an example also, because he, he was in the ministry from a young age prior to marrying. Uh, I think it's wise that a man is actually married, even though it's not a rule in scripture and we don't want to create imperative when the Bible does not, you know, so that he is sufficiently guided and certain of the nature of the home. Especially when you consider that he say part of the uh, uh, requirement is that he must be able to manage a home. And the home he's managing is obviously a wife. Or be hospitable. And show exactly hospitality. So it's wise that, and I trust that elders will counsel young men in church who are inclined in that direction that perhaps you want to go um, this path, you can be useful, but then before you plunge in fully, you know, be, 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 be married so that those things can be tested first. That is, I think Dr. Javier needs to be given there, uh, or an addition there, that if you are aspiring the ministry and you also aspire to marry, then marry fine. Mm. But if you have no desire to marry, it's fine. That is like Paul, like, uh, <clears throat> like John Stott, like Irving Stegos. They didn't have that desire, and so they were fine in the ministry yeah. that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the, the other problem which I find is that uh, at the point where the relationship is going on, not yet married, then you find that men are not willing to lay all their accounts on the table. They're not telling the lady that I desire to go into the ministry. So then later on, you know, he turns the card and the lady is not happy with that. You know, when I was proposing to my wife, I told her or asked her, would you marry me and come along with me wherever the Lord will send? And she gladly said yes. So you see, that helps when it's clear that this is the direction I want to go. This is what I want to do. I believe the Lord has given me this calling. So that later on, if uh, the Lord were indeed to open that door, everyone knows that we are going to go in this direction anyway. Uh, but I pity those men who would approach such ladies as they don't want to be married by a pastor. Uh, and, and then uh, you find out later. Clearly, you can't be. You, you just have to do whatever else the Lord will give you in your church. You don't um, have the support of the wife, that is. Just an encouragement to the young ladies. <laughs> um, when you get to the time like this, I will give an, uh, uh, a testimony about myself. I got into the ministry before I got married, and uh, one of the things I discussed before we went deeper into making final decisions was this. Mm -hmm. So it's better we do the first thing first. I also want to agree with that. I, I got married when I was 40, so I waited. <laughs> I prolonged the, the, 
the the uh, yeah, marriage. And I I always I think the most important thing is what Paul said: you must marry in the Lord. You must yeah. be a Christian. That's the most important. You must make sure that your 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 wife is a Christian because if if that come it will come out if it's not, and then then it's going to be very difficult in the marriage, and the ministry will probably not last. If so, that that's the most important thing. That's what I said to myself before I get married. My wife must be a Christian. My second um, uh, qualification was uh, she must be missionary minded. That was for me. Uh, she must be mission orientated because usually uh, women that are mission orientated they have a heart for the lost. They want to reach out to the lost, and they are willing to deny themselves usually. So that was very important to me as well. And I, that, that's basically the same. I, I said to Roxanne, my wife as well, are you willing to go to me to any place in the world with me on the mission field if God so calls me? And she said yes. And I think that's very important. That kind of a, it's a kind of a mindset um, because um, you're willing to suffer for the Lord. And, and yeah, so I think before you enter into marriage, that that's kind of kind of important because... If things are going to get tough in, in, in ministry anyway, and then they might have, well, they might want to, you know, get out of it because it's so tough. So I think, yeah, agreeing with that. The other flip side to this is uh, you ladies who uh, are excited about gospel mm -hmm. ministry, mm -hmm. and you're saying, uh, "What do I do with the gifts that I believe the Lord has given me? With the desire that I have, uh, what can I do?" And, and the answer to that is then be married by a man who aspires to the ministry. Mm. If, if you yourself want to be a missionary as a, a woman, then be married by a man who is a missionary. That, that's just the way it's going to work out. Do your studies in the seminary library. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do your homework it's, from there. Mm. <laughs> yes. Is your library a, open to the public? Yes. <laughs> it's a danger... Because uh, many people may, may have this desire and the weight of desire become too heavy to a point that ah, I will trust in the Lord, she, she, will, she will get along later. <laughs> uh, it's a really serious matter because uh, ministry requires a lot of things, not only to the man, but also to the wife too. So we need to make sure that we, we take it very seriously. Mm. I think as, as pastors, we also have a responsibility and as a church to help our sisters to clarify what is expected of them and what is not. Because at times, wrong expectations really scare people. Uh, I think primarily they are called to be faithful wives and and. and and faithful sisters in the Lord, we, we are not asking them to become pastors. Right. Mm -hmm. And so where that is clearly communicated, it also does help somebody who is scared and is feeling, I don't have gifts like you. How can I be a pastor's wife? They are not being called to have gifts like those of the pastor. And I think for every courtship, because... There are many that will end up turning out that they didn't see this coming, then it's come up. I think what Brother 
And Nico has said is very important. Marry in the Lord. Because if you are Christians, you prioritize the will of the Lord to a point where you are, you are willing to make trade-offs, to change, to self-deny yourselves, to attrition things that were previously precious. But because you are in the Lord, you are willing to do that. And so every courtship needs to ensure that they make the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, not the second greatest commandment, the greatest commandment in their relationship. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is number one. And then loving your neighbor as yourself is number two. If you start with number two and you begin idolizing your fiancé, you, you will not be able to make those adjustments in life that may be necessary. So, um, I, I don't know if you can address this, but I found out that many young pastors may be at the point of courtship. They assume too much. Um, and midway into the ministry, or, or yeah, midway into the ministry, they found out that the woman is not truly really converted. How deeply should they dig deep into? How, how far should they go into ensuring that the woman is a, is a Christian? Because um, you could just say, okay, I'll help her. She'll grow. And I'm sure that's a very wrong thing. She's not going to grow. She's going to get more, more, more into trouble if she marries you. How Christian should she be? How Christian should she be? How, I mean, you understand what I'm trying to say. What are the things? The elder should be involved. Who should be involved to help the brother to ensure that this sister, yes, she might, you might think she's born again, yes, she has a profession, but she's not mature enough to be your wife going to the ministry. Is there a, is there a place for that? I, I absolutely. The, I mean, even if you are not aspiring to the ministry, you just want to get married. You have to involve your pastors and get counseling from them and not be in, in such a hurry that there is no time to catch whatever uh, difficulties there might be, even to detect. Because, you know, people can, can have a testimony of a day, but it takes longer to establish whether indeed there is uh, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit is not, uh, it's not a one-day affair. Mm -hmm. it, it's a... If there is a fruit, I mean, it begins with a flower, and then eventually it matures to be ripe, it can be eaten. So uh, don't be in a hurry to get married so that no one can really give you such help that you need, whether you are aspiring to the ministry or not. And then secondly, if you're aspiring to the ministry, then all the more why you need to be absolutely diligent and uh, make sure that you talk with, the, with your pastors, you talk with other couples in the church, you expose yourselves to them such that uh, they can give you practical help in your marriage as those who are, who are thinking about uh, ministry as the head goal. Um, mostly, I think, I've seen people who are thinking about ministry, yet at the same time they are in such a rush to get married that some things go undetected. I want to mention, um, yeah, I, I think, again, Providence is very important. Uh, just thinking about myself, I married very late. 
and I was not married before. And my first marriage, only marriage. Uh, um, the providence, because you can rush a thing, you kind of try and rush something, and then it doesn't work out at all. But if you wait upon the Lord, I'm not saying everybody should wait until they're 40 years old if they want to <laughs> get married, but uh, it was actually providence that led my, me and my wife together. It was a recommendation of another pastor that I knew well. And there was other Christians that also recommended. It's a kind of confirmation from different mm -hmm. sources through the church, not only my local church, other churches as well. And if you, if you just... If you, if you pray, obviously prayer, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer with that. But also then a good report. I think that's very important. There must be a good report of that individual. Because if a, a lady is not connected to a <coughs> local church and just skipping and there's no report, then it's uh, red flags. Mm. There should be a good report from others, elders in another church, I think, um, before you make a decision. Thank you. But you see, many men are very afraid of doing that kind of uh, background check. Uh, I think ladies are way better than, than men in doing that. Uh, they would ask around and ask around and be sure. But men are like, we're getting married. And it just backfired. Mm -hmm. So really, you need all that background check to know what kind of a person that you're considering. Okay, allow me to invite the audience to ask questions and as uh, you ask a question let me let me um, bring a question that is online uh, one is to you Pastor Murungi um, quick question why couldn't you be a teacher and a pastor I couldn't do anything else other than okay other than serve the Lord <laughs> you've heard it all right, there's another question nearby. Well, let, let me ju just be objective. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was compelled uh, by my own conviction, and I believe the Lord also wanted it that way. If I had divided myself to be both a pastor and a teacher at the same time, I don't think I would have been able to fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given me. I'm not saying that that's true of every other person. There are brethren who have those kind of, uh, of gifts where they can be bivocational. And praise God for that. I mean, Dave Woolen is here, and, and Brother Eric has been in that kind of a context. But there are men who know that there is no way I can do anything else mm -hmm. and be pleasing the Lord. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and a question here um, by Moako. Uh, Moako asks, uh, what of a situation where the local assembly or the local church which sent you out refuses to support you? Do you stay on, I think stay on in the field, if you are uh, able to support yourself, so do you stay on or do you leave? If, if, if you are sent by a church and you are working and they write to you an email, we are no longer able to support you, what do you do? I think it's very hand to hand a question like that. Mm. We, we don't know all the circumstances. Do I, know? I think I know the person. And, um, okay. 
Yeah? If I can. I yeah, so he was, the church doesn't pay the people they send out. Oh, they yes. don't? Yes, so they send out men who are actually employed, who are start the work, and um, that's the case with him. So it's not a church, everything we're discussing, we're discussing everything in the biblical context, within, oh. as applied in a reformed you know, setting that understands scripture. That's not the case. That's not the context that is okay. coming from. So he has come to these convictions now because he supports himself and he actually does it a lot in taking care of that local church. But there is no oversight or financial remuneration from the local church. Even in paying the bills in that church, it is entirely on that. And you have denominations like that even back home in Nigeria where they say, they put it in, they put it in, it says a faith ministry and so they're sending you out and uh, because the faith ministry, they trust that the Lord will cater to your needs. And so you go, you sort yourself out, and then hopefully what will confirm your ministry is that the congregation that will arise from your work will not take care of you. Oh. Yes. So yeah. clearly then that's not a biblical concept yes. yeah. that we would be able to give. But what I would tell him is that uh, then he hasn't been really sent, mm. even by that mother church, so to speak. He's just on his own. And uh, he may as well uh, look for a biblical church mm -hmm. because w when you have those kind of lapses, they're not just lapses in one area. You would find that that also affects what mm -hmm. they believe because, you see, it's what you believe that determines what you live. So my advice to him is to look for a biblical local church that he can work with and straighten things out because I think they are at a point where a knot is already too tight. Just need to be cut. The advice that uh, uh, John Murray gives, principles uh, of conduct, he says just cut that knot and, and, and tie a new knot that can be done. That would be my advice. Okay, any question from the audience? Yes, you can just uh, go to the mic at the back. If you are from this side, I can see two hands. Yes, brothers, you can just go to that mic over there and then ask your question. You can just line up, it's okay. It, you, can, yeah, you can line up so that you ask your questions and then there's someone else here. Yes, you can come to the mic. Uh, anyone else, can, you can stand behind that line. I know Kenyans are a bit wary of lining up, eh? <laughs> but <don't, laughs> uh, Okay, thank you. you. Let me start. This side, and then this side, yes. Thank you. My name is Patrico. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a situation whereby uh, the church is seeing some qualities in a person as somebody who can be, who can fit in the ministry to serve the church. And uh, it happens that this person doesn't have the desire, that is the desire and the, the, what the, the role that the congregation can play. The person himself doesn't have the desire to serve the Lord, but he, according to the practices, even if tested, do this and that, he excels. So what, what, what can the church do about it? And even there is need of leadership in that church. The person is reluctant 
Can the person just be left and the church say, oh, since he doesn't have the desire, then we don't have a problem with him? Thank you. Thank you. That was a brief question. I like that. Brief the point. Uh, someone uh, to answer it, maybe two of you. You have a brother who is gifted, is graced, I mean, has all the boxes ticked, but they don't desire. I would say to a brother like that, if, if, if the congregation see giftings in, in this individual, they could approach him and to pray about it. I think that's the first thing that he should, maybe he's just too busy with other things. He actually has gifts. God has gifted him. Maybe he should just be you know, encouraged to consider a leadership. And maybe he's not living close to the Lord, but maybe he's not called to the ministry. That can also be the, he might be very gifted, but not be called to the ministry. That might be true. But he, it might be that God is calling him, but he's just, um, he's not, you can almost say, in tune with, with what God wills, what God, uh, God's will is for him. So I would, I would encourage him, first of all, I would encourage the congregation to encourage him to pray about it to consider it. And uh, if there's no desire, even after a period of time, well, you cannot force somebody into the ministry. And there must be a desire, as First Timothy chapter 3 says. If, if, he's, if he's not willing or eager at all, well, then he's not called. Uh, the Bible makes that clear. You must have a desire, yes. Um, I, I think the Bible is clear in First uh, Peter 5 that... Um, Anyone coming to the ministry must serve, not under compulsion, but mm. willingly, as God would have him. So if he, assuming that his pastors have encouraged him, they've prayed, the church has sought him out and he's unwilling, then eventually he has to be left alone. Okay. Thank you. Our brother, the brother there, and then we'll come to that side, yes. Okay, I... I had two questions that have been mostly answered, but I'll ask them anyway. Um, in the place of working with your elders, um, someone is, has the desire and he has approached the elders and they have told him, um, we don't see the, the gifts or uh, wait a while longer. And... Um, Another church or someone from another church approaches them and says, you know, you, you have a desire, we can see it, and we are willing to send you. And probably they actually even send him to where he wanted to go. Um, at the end of the day, he's a minister of the gospel out there. So do, does the church support them? Does, it's it's a, a very hard situation, but these things happen. So that's question one. What, what does the church that um, refused to send him do about that situation? He's serving at the end of the day, and probably he needs help. Question number two, uh, on the issue of uh, relying, on, um, relying on God to provide, um, it's a question that uh, is on, in the heads of many people. You have been sent. At the beginning, everything was well. You were well provided for. But later on, years on in the ministry, things get tough. 
is there a place to to say you know enough a place where you you don't desire to maintain a certain lifestyle your family needs food on the table so is there a place for i think i need to find food for my family first so you put down your tools and go to work thank you uh two of you then can I, can answer that other answer the second one i and i don't know whether I can't remember his name now, but he, I think he's a pastor that is known amongst the brothers here. I heard him say on the podcast not long ago that um, anybody can pastor your church, but not everybody can be a husband to your wife and a father to your children. And I, that struck me, you know, because I never heard that. And so I think it ties in with what Pastor Sagi has been saying. We do not want to be too dismissive of our families. Mm. Um, there's a pastor in the California area who we had a spirit some time back, and he, the church was not able to support, they were not able to, at all to support him, and he went to Logwood, basically, so he can take care of his family. Because at the end of the day, you are a man, and you, do not, you, you must take care of your family. The responsibilities that are yours as a husband and a father, the Lord does not <coughs> remove them because you're a pastor. I think what will happen is that the sending church and then the congregation will probably understand and somehow um, one is able to work something out or perhaps seek request you know, as the Jerusalem church is helping, helping this other church you know, for if you're in an association of churches for support to be given. So all of, the, all of these things tie in. So where there's a faithful church and where there are a community of churches that are aware of this person's situation, I think people will be willing. But, and so the man must be open with with that situation, obviously, so that help may be provided. But if he needs to take on something else, tent-making, support his family while not drifting away from the ministry, and obviously, I think that also has its place. Okay, so let me answer the first one. Uh, the first one, uh, the context might be, the, I, don't have, I don't know the context of, I don't know why the first church thinks that the, the guy might not be um, ready you might have a situation where someone might not be ready character-wise. The person might be, might be able to preach, but this person has some character issues that the other church might not see. They see him preach and they think he's ready and they want to just lay hands on him. And so in that kind of situation, if it's my church, we are not going to endorse that. We, we probably might warn the other pastor and say, I know he has all these gifts, but this is him. A, a problematic situation about him, and but if you see he wants to go ahead, then fine. Well, I will not partake in laying hands suddenly on a man. But then, if it's for the reason of maybe the the, the main church is lazy, they're not mission minded, and they find someone to help them send someone out, I think they should just give their blessings. If there's no problem, if there's a problem, they should communicate the problem to the other church. And then, then back out if they still insist on sending the man. That's my own take. Okay. Uh, question there. Keep it brief. Uh, okay. Because of Thank time. You. Um, Daniel Ngolo. Yes, Daniel. Pastoring a local church in South Nyanza. But my concern here is about the checklist, because. If we look at First Timothy chapter three and more so verse thirteen and uh, 
verse 14 and uh, 15, you see actually the purpose why Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy in Ephesus church, that before he, he come to Ephesus church, this letter will show you how the church should run. But in the checklist of qualifications of the elders from verse 1 to 7, he, he just talked, but he didn't specifically mention the qualifications of women like he did in uh, the diaconate office from verse 8, more so in verse 11, where he specifically talked about the qualification wife. of... Okay. So what is the application of, of this one? And lastly, I do not also understand the application of First Timothy 5 and verse 8, where I say that, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members in, of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. Okay. The reason why I'm asking this, I've heard several times among these this Armenian churches, they use this passage as, a, as one of the qualifications for you to lead the church, that if, if, you, are, if you cannot feed your family, then you, you are not even supposed to. So I want the practical okay. application of this Thank you. two verses. Thank you. Maybe yes. ask your question and then we, so that we, oh, there is another person. Okay, let him ask and then. Yeah, I'm Elisha Uma. Well, oh, having been uh, equipped with all the requisites, is it necessary to do the survey before going to the area of ministry? For instance, when you are having been sent to go and minister in an uh, Islamic zone, where even carrying the Bible is prohibited. So, so the question is, did you do a survey of the place? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, there is someone there. Are you okay if I just take one more? I think uh, it will be very difficult. It will be difficult. Okay, pause, Kidogo. Thank you. Yeah, um, you can take those uh, three questions. One regarding the, we don't see qualifications of pastors' wives. I think maybe the question is why did we de discuss that? In a sense, maybe it's a concern. He even brought it as a concern. And then there was the question of providing. If you can't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So if I am saying I will continue on working by faith and my family, I can't provide for them, might not disqualified. That's what you mentioned. And the need to do research, and I think that's an important one. The need to do research before we go to a field. Uh, maybe three of you can take, each of you take one, one of those questions. We did not see the qualification of a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some things are drawn from scriptures. Uh, some things are just implied, they're not explicit. Um, I mean, you, you don't have to see the qualification of a pastor's wife for you to, to know that you need to be wise in choosing who will be your wife. Um, like that's why I, I brought in the Proverbs 31 woman. Her husband is at the gate, city gate. The leader, she's know, he's known, and you can see the kind of woman. 
uh, that the woman is. And again, hospitality is whose work. Um, I, when I first got married, I did not understand what it was. So someone is coming to the house, I just say, come. And as a bachelor, well, we just take water, we just talk. Mm-hmm. My wife would tell me, let me know someone's coming. I said, don't worry, just give them water. I said, no. It took me a while to understand that hospitality, and I'm learning, is big. It's not just one bachelor that just strolls around the street, doesn't care what you eat, doesn't care how you feel when you come to the house, doesn't care of himself, so what does he care? The woman bears the burden. Calvin, Luther, when they go preaching, why there are people who are leaving their churches and they are being persecuted for their newfound faith, they go straight to his house. Who does the dishes? Who, who takes care of them? Who makes sure Calvin goes for weeks, Spurgeon goes for uh, committees, and, sorry, uh, Luther goes for committees, but people come all over and stay in their homes. Who is there taking care of the home? It's the woman. So if you say because it's not explicit in the Bible that this woman must be this and that, and just choose to marry any woman, you'll be doing her first a disservice, then yourself a disservice. So I think we can just glean from scriptures that these are the responsibilities that will come upon the pastor. And to not only come upon the pastor, it will come upon his wife. And so you are careful to ensure that you are marrying someone who can bear this burden with you. That's my take. Next question on provision. Someone else. Yeah, I'll just up, uh, the one on re- doing research. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree fully. The Bible does say if a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So that your family is your first priority. It is your first priority. Your wife, your children, any Christian, your first priority. Also, the pastor is not is not ministries. Is your family? Your family comes first because of things are not going well in your family, you're disqualified. You're disqualified. So you have to take, if the church cannot pay you, in a, you're in a crisis situation, then you have to be a tent maker. If that doesn't work, and, 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 and you have to be full-time doing secular, then you have to leave the ministry. Because if you cannot provide for your family, then if it's a crisis situation like that, your family always comes first. Because if you're in the ministry, and you cannot take care of your family, well, then you're disqualified. So that, that's just as simple as that. Uh, the need for research? Yes, of course, you have to, you have to do all the research in the place that uh, you want to, or you've been called. If a church calls you to pastor them, you, you need to do all you can to ensure that you would be able to give them what they want. Um, so when they call you to preach in their, in, in their church so that they can find out whether they should have you or not, that you're also finding out whether after the service they will even greet you. And what, what are they going to do with you? Are they going to call you to their homes and offer any hospitality? Uh, if they are hostile to you, clearly, uh, when you are not even part of them, how much would they, would they be hostile when you are in their ministry? So yes, you have to do everything possible to establish that this is a church. In fact, I would even say, if you know the previous pastor, you need to call him and ask, why did you leave this congregation? What happened? Uh, 
And uh, if you're getting very, you know, bad reports, you raise it up with the church and tell them, this is what I'm hearing, and I don't think I can take up this pastor. Mm. I think part yeah. of researching also is to understand, because we've talked about the call to the ministry, mm. but we need to understand what is ministering. Because there's a job description that scripture is clear on. And uh, mentorship becomes so important. Staying next to others who are doing the work is very helpful because then you'll be able to see, ah, this is how you differentiate sheep from lambs. And you're able to feed the sheep and tend the lambs. You are able to prepare someone this way. This is how you guard the sheep. This is how you, you become a father. Mm -hmm. This is how you become a mother. This is how you are careful not to burden them while you are ensuring you are taking up their burdens. I'm, 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 I mean, past Thessalonians, they are just thinking about, about Paul. This is how you ensure you prepare your sermons. And, and so ministering needs to be understood also. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and there is a call there for the new pastor to be very observant, to strive to just be a sponge that soaks in so much by observing and also by asking questions so that you understand what is ministering beyond just the call to the ministry. Yeah, I would, I would say research is essential. This is a, a two-way interview. Mm -hmm. um, you come with questions about them. They have many, many questions about, about you. I've, I've witnessed... Uh, men go to a, a congregation thinking, well, I won't tell them that I'm, I have Calvinistic tendencies mm. and I'll try and change them. Mm. And the more work you can do up front to clarify both sides, mm. expectations, beliefs, mm. theological positions, mm. the less surprises there will be. Right. There's no there's sin on both sides. There's no perfect fit. That's not what we're aiming for, but we're mm. looking for God's providence here, that I am the right man for this congregation. This congregation is, is right for me and my family. Mm. Okay, we'll just have those, the last two as the last questions because of time. I'll ask that you ask one question each. Is it, is it okay? Yeah, let me start there. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Elliot. I'm a member here at TBC, and it is written in First Timothy uh, chapter three verse six about a new convert. So, what parameters guide uh, who a new convert is? Is it mm. how long one has been saved, or the level of spiritual maturity, or how does one go about it? Please expose. So is it chronological or maturity? Okay. Yeah. Uh, how long has uh, one has been saved? Okay. Uh, the level of spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. or, I don't know, expose what uh, Paul's meaning is behind that uh, new convert. Thank you. Thank you, Elude. And then, question. That will be the last one. So my question, my name is James. Um, I'm one of members in church. Uh, my question is, maybe I want to broaden the, the discussion. Uh, for those aspiring to the gospel ministry, but not within the context of a pastor, uh, what can you advise them? Like they want to serve in missions, parachurch, and uh, 
this can include both ladies and uh, gentlemen and singles and married. Uh, what can you advise them? But I would also like a clarification on what Pastor Morongi said. That, uh, Those are two questions. I, w no. I want him to clarify that uh, you have to be married to go to ministry, especially if you desire to be married, because we see people in scriptures who went in Christian ministry and they were not married. I'm imagining a case where you have not yet found your spouse and you, will you be told to wait in an incubation time so that you can marry? Or okay, can you go to the mission and find your wife there? Okay, I think your question is clear. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Jim. All right. Um, so there is a question of what does it mean to be someone who is a young convert? Is it, are we talking about time? Or are we talking about maturity or both? And then... Uh, I think we can handle your first question. Uh, those who desire to be within the ministry, not pastoral, uh, but other areas of ministry. I think the two are there. Young convert is explicit. The maturity is every other thing before that point. Maturity is sober-mindedness, temperate, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wind, not greedy, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. These are the maturity. But that young convert is explicit, not someone who is just a new convert and just wants to go to the field the second day. So the two, you can find the two there. You can, if you're not mature spiritually, you cannot meet all of this that was said from verse 1 to verse 5. That's from so you're saying new convert is new convert. Explicit, but then maturity is there. again today and then tomorrow. Yeah, I, uh, not possible. Okay. It's a question, you know, but he's saying maturity is there a time frame mm -hmm. that we can assess maturity, right? Uh, it's very difficult to actually assess the time because think of Spurgeon, which, which was, he was exceptional. 17, 18, he was, he was mature. But because he was brought up in a Christian family, his grandfather was a pastor. I think his father was also a pastor. And he, he had the background. So when he was 18, he was, he was um, converted at 16, 18, I think it was 18 or 17. 17, he was already a pastor. So it could be quick. But then if you come from a heathen background, completely unchristian, convert, it might take four, five, six years. So uh, it's, it's from case to case. But I think the assessment must be done by the church or the elders his uh, spiritual maturity, his knowledge of the scriptures must all be there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't like Jesus Spurgeon because it's an exception. Apostle Paul himself got converted and plunged the work not too long. And, you, and he himself wrote this. So um, the reason why I said that the, the character is maturity is you, you, can, you might not use time, but you can use the fruits. This is if you take 10 years to be hospitable and not greedy and all that, and someone else takes five years, the person is mature already. Because if you give yourself to the Lord, uh, for Second Timothy, the Lord talked about uh, vessel unto honor. If someone gives himself unto the Lord to purify himself and become meat for the master's use, it might take five years for this man and 10 years for that man. And I will not say because he is older, 
I will take him. I will take someone who has given himself to purify himself to be used of the Lord. And his, the time frame might be short. That's why mm. I said maturity is the character trait. But then I think it's also very, very clear that because you might get into a lot of trouble. You might get 10 people and one might be like Spurgeon. But many nine might wreck the whole work that Spurgeon has done. And so you have to be careful that mm-hmm. a new convert sit down and learn and let's see if the character traits are in you. That's why I said what I said. There was a question specifically on uh, not pastoral ministry, but other areas of ministry. Are there other areas of ministry where, because, for example, with the pastoral ministry, our sisters can't serve there. Are there other areas where other brothers whom, who are not even qualified might still serve? We um, are about the diversity of ministries. Mm. Then even in Ephesians chapter 4, you have ministerial gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers whose purpose really is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm. So um, I think it's obvious that people should be hands-on in the local church, yeah. whatever area that the Lord has gifted them to serve. So that's clear. I'm not quite sure what the specific question is. Is it a question on if that is a possibility or how you go about determining the specific area in the local church that you should serve. Or if you want to set a, a, an, an government organization serving with children. Or, or a parachurch. church, and you're not going to be under the oversight of any church. Oh. <laughs> I was clarifying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, we should be aware of purchase organizations and whatever the case may be, whether it's outreach to street children, um, everything should be done under the auspices of the local church as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that that's the best model because that's what we see clearly revealed in scripture. Um, not all purchase organizations are bad insofar as there is clear biblical pastoral oversight. You know, but as has been the constant refrain is talk to your elders. You want to do prison ministry and the church doesn't have any. Talk to your elders. You want to go to the motherless baby's home and speak to them of the gospel. Speak to your elders. Do not you know, be a solo agent mm. uh, regardless. There are people who have been tasked by the Lord to watch over your souls. And that means something. And if they're going to be accountable to the Lord, then help them in that course of being properly accountable. In any case, they're there to guide you. If they're the ones feeding you, and it follows that they can give counsels as to how you might pursue these things and then assess your capabilities in actually carrying these things out. That's what I would say. All right. As for the, or you want to tackle that? No, question? no, it's okay. You can finish and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray. Okay. Uh, as for whether you should be married or not, um, the Bible doesn't require that you be married. It is if you're married, then this is what is expected of you. <clears throat> And um, there would be people who would never be married. But then if you aspire to be married, the question is, should you marry first? Um, and, and I think churches have taken different positions on the matter. Uh, there are those who say that you better be married. We look after you, see how you would manage your household before we can send, out, can send you out. Or we can even call you to be an elder with us uh, at our church. 
And I think those, those kind of positions need to be respected uh, because they may have good reasons for saying that. Uh, there are many people who have wrecked their marriages soon after they got married because their marriages didn't work out. And now you end up being disgraced, not just in marriage, but also in ministry. And that's a more difficult uh, situation to deal with. Either way, I think uh, it would be case by case. There are, my, there are men who may not be married, but they are very stable in their, in their conduct. Uh, it's easy to, ass to assess their maturity and to see uh, that these are fairly stable men and, and the elders of that church may entrust them with ministry. But if the elders are saying, uh, you better be married fast and, uh, or we better see how long, you know, give you this time uh, or give you ministry before you get married here, you just need to respect that because there would be better advice to tell you based on your local church. Uh, quickly and then I'll say that again. I just wanted to give some recommendation uh, with the books that you may read with regard to aspiring to the ministry. The first one is, Is God Calling Me? by Jeff Log. The second one is, Saving Without Sinking by John Hindley. And the third one is, Discerning Your Call to Ministry by Jason Allen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, those who are joining us uh, online, those who have taken time to be here. Uh, remember that the Passion for Mission Conference continues tomorrow. Uh, it, um, it will be here at uh, Donholm, uh, so make your way. I think because it's just one day, Probably you will only pay for 500, um, am I right? So it should be 500 if you're only planning and purposing to come tomorrow. That should take care of uh, the meals and uh, the materials that will be given. Uh, let me ask that we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we have had to discuss matters to do with the ministry. We pray that for those who are called, who feel the call, that, oh Lord, our discussion today would be an encouragement to them to search themselves, to pray, to open up themselves to their pastors and to their local church and to people around them so that they may uh, see to it whether that call is true. And we pray for us who are in the ministry that we would persevere, that we would do everything to ensure that we are not disqualified because of our own uh, sin or our own carelessness. Please preserve us and strengthen us. And we pray for those who may not feel the call to ministry, those who uh, are serving you in the marketplace that they would serve and uh, serve you faithfully, whether as teachers, as doctors, as, as uh, cobblers, as barbers, Whatever they do, Lord, let them do it for the glory and honor of God. And we pray that the whole church will be built up as we all do our duty and our service where you have placed us. So please watch over us, Lord, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much.